So, really exciting first preach of the new year. And uh, I had it all ready to go. It was all set up, beautifully laid out, PowerPoint and everything. And then on Thursday night, I was going to bed and the Holy Spirit said, I didn't ask you to speak on that this Sunday. (laughs) So, uh, which is a bit of an inconvenient truth, because actually the next couple of days I've been away. We've just been on retreat together as elders. And we've had the most amazing time. And I shared with the guys thinking they'd let me off. And they kind of said, yeah, we think we prob- you probably should change what you're going to speak. <laughs> so uh, I didn't get any help there. So I, I want to talk to you. And it comes out of an encounter with God that I had over Christmas. And, and I would like to just pray because I need prayer right now. And you probably do as well. <laughs> Wonderful. Lord, I just want to thank you for your tangible presence with us right now. And I want to ask you, Lord, to do miracles as, we, as I speak. Lord, I, I ask you to bring miracles of healing and freedom. Today, Lord, I pray for your anointing to come on us as a congregation to hear your word right now. Lord, we still our hearts and open our expectations because God is in the house and that you are the living word. And Father, these aren't dry words on a page, but they are the living word of God. Come speak to our hearts, we pray, in the name of Jesus. So today I want to introduce you to two ladies that I've been getting to know over the last few months. Two ladies in the New Testament and, I, and I've given them a name. that They don't have a name in the Bible, but I've given them a name. Uh, one is called Grace. So I want to introduce you to Grace. And I want to introduce you to Mercy. And I think you'll understand when I tell you about these ladies why I've given them those names. Because their lives illustrate those particular words so incredibly well. Grace and Mercy. So I want to tell you about these two ladies because God gave me an encounter with them over the, over the Christmas period. And I want you to have an encounter with them as well. Uh, and I wonder if sometimes we are uh, more attuned or have more understanding of what it means to encounter grace. But so much less understanding of what it means to encounter mercy and our need of mercy. Well, for me, certainly... This is the case because over one whole night over Christmas, I had an encounter with mercy like I have never known before. And it has literally been life changing for me. I've I've experienced a new level of freedom and healing. And I didn't even know that I needed it, but I needed an encounter with the mercy of Jesus. And so that's what I want to bring to you today. And uh, it comes from the book of John. These two ladies that are talked about firstly in John chapter 8. And then I'm going to look at John chapter 4. So these two ladies. And this first lady in John chapter 8, I'm going to tell you the story. And I'm going to take a few little bits out of the passage. But I'm not going to read it all to you. I want to tell it to you. I want to try and bring it to life with some of the stuff I've learned about these ladies as well. So in John chapter 8, this woman... Uh, who, who is known often by the woman caught in the very act of adultery. That's how she was known, the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Jesus was in the temple one day when this happened. People were gathered around him. He was just about to start teaching, he was just about to take his seat. And then this woman 
was thrust into the midst of that congregation, gleefully perhaps by the religious leaders, presumably naked, humiliated, embarrassed. What are you going to do with this woman, Jesus? Are you going to comply with the law of Moses, Jesus, about her situation? We've caught her in the very act of adultery. Thrown at the feet of Jesus in a room full of leering men. I don't know if you can imagine the shame of what she must have felt. Caught in the act. Caught in the act. Exposed. Without excuse, she can't apologize, she can't explain it. She's been caught in the act, knowing what she'd done wrong, without escape. I mean, imagine being dragged out of that place of secret sin and being exposed before everybody. Those areas that we can have in our lives, suddenly the whole church knows about it. The whole community knows what you have done, knowing shameful things about me. I felt really challenged by that. I, I wanted to bring it to you as a, as a bit of a, a warning. Are you in danger of that? Are you in any danger of being exposed for something that you would be ashamed of? I mean, do you have some vulnerabilities in your life at the moment that you need to come clean on before it gets too far? Caught in the act. Or has it already got to that stage when you almost wish somebody would catch you in the act to stop you from going down the route that you are almost certainly going to go if this keeps going on the way that it's going? Caught in the act. You would even pay the cost for somebody to catch you out because it's got so desperate. I know of people that have got in so deep that that is actually how they feel. They get to that point, if only somebody would find out and stop me from doing this. I know a man who worked from home. He spent too much time on his own. He Worked in the shed at the bottom of his garden. Left on his own day after day, lonely, disconnected. He began to spend too much time searching for images on his computer. And then the images didn't satisfy anymore, so he went for films. He started watching films. And then that wasn't enough anymore. It escalated and he started making contact with women on the internet, and then it went further again. He started visiting these women, having sex, paying for sex with these women, and suddenly, within a period of over a year, he was trapped in this cycle of addiction that he just couldn't get out of. He was powerless to do anything about it until one day his wife walked in and caught him in the very act. Can you imagine the embarrassment, the shame. And then as he was confronted, what are you doing? Why are you looking at this stuff? It all came out. That moment of exposure led to this outpouring of grief and sorry and pain and and I'm, I'm trapped and I didn't know what to do. Finally, somebody knows, somebody who loves me, somebody who cares for me 
and it begins to come out. I don't actually know the full outcome of that story. I just know that it was one of the most humiliating and embarrassing parts of his life that got exposed and it all came out. And my friend, if that's you, then I want to plead with you, don't let it go so far. If you're trapped in a cycle of sin that you can't get out of, don't let it go so far. Don't let the shame of your secret sin bind you and shut your mouth because you know that's what happens. Shame, I can't speak about it. I've got to keep it quiet. I've got to keep it hidden. But come clean before it's too late, before you too are caught in the very act and all the humiliation and the exposure that that would bring. But there she is, this, this dear woman caught in the act, standing before these men who had every legal right to judge her under the law of Moses. Although, as they say, it takes two to commit to that particular sin of adultery. You can't commit it on your own. And we wonder what happened to the man that's often talked about. And perhaps he escaped. Perhaps he managed to get away. Or perhaps he was even there with the accusers at the back of the crowd, baying for her blood. Or perhaps the men who allowed him to remain hidden had also visited that woman on occasion. And they were guilty too, and they wanted to keep it quiet. We don't know how many other men had abused and used that poor woman. But anyway, these religious leaders, these writers of the law, they didn't quote the law. These lawyers didn't quote it right anyway. The death sentence actually was only appropriate for a betrothed virgin, according to Deuteronomy. I suppose she could have been, but it doesn't seem likely. And plus, the law also required the man's presence, noticeably absent from this scene. And execution was due not just for the man, but the woman. He seems to have escaped. So this wasn't a fair trial by any means. And the passage is actually quite clear about it in verse 6. It says that the religious leaders were just simply setting a trap for Jesus. Because if he ordered the death penalty, he would be in trouble with the Romans because they wouldn't allow the execution of anybody by a Jewish person. It had to be done through the relevant Roman authorities. And so they throw this woman in front of Jesus with this question, what are you going to do with her? And Jesus doesn't answer. Instead, he writes on the ground. And frustratingly, John doesn't tell us what he writes. And so all all sorts of people have made, uh, they've had different ideas about what it might be. Maybe Jesus was writing out the Ten Commandments at the time. Uh, Or maybe he was writing the names of the accusers down. (laughs) Or maybe, the one that I particularly like, he was writing down the sins of the accusers (laughs) in front of them. Jesus doesn't answer. Instead, he writes on the ground. But they continue to question Jesus, and eventually he challenges them with a charge of his own 
which only he could bring. In verse 7, it says, When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and wrote on the ground. And he was definitely writing their names down then, surely. (laughs) He who was without sin. And then verse 9, it says this, that at this, those who heard began to go away, one at a time, starting with the oldest, who presumably had the most sins in his life to think about. And and then it came back down to the youngest, and then only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, not one. Because none of them could. None of them was without sin. See, Jesus never said, all right, one of you who's without this particular sin, if any of you here haven't committed adultery, then that's okay, you can stay. (laughs) Because some of us might think, well, I've never done that. I'm not that bad. So you sit in judgment over somebody else. But he said, no, if any of you have committed sin, you are not qualified to throw a stone at this woman. Guys, all of us have committed sin. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's royal standard. All of us. Still true today. That actually Jesus was the only one who was qualified to condemn her in that moment. Only he could cast the stone because he is the only one who was and is without sin. Tempted in all ways such as we are and yet without sin. Only God himself has the supreme right to condemn anybody. We don't have that supreme right. None of us can stand in judgment of another without first acknowledging our own weaknesses, sins and failures. And you know it, don't you? You know it. We know our own weaknesses and our failures. So we must deal kindly with one another, gently lest our own sins become our undoing. None of us are without sin, even if my sins aren't the same as yours. And so here's the staggering thing, and I just haven't been able to get away from this. This woman is standing there in Jesus' judgment. She's standing, everybody else has left. She's standing there alone before God. And every one of us has to come to that place where we will ultimately all stand before God alone and give account. And notice the woman doesn't argue. Notice the woman who was up until that point held in, hemmed in by her accusers. They've all left. She could have left with them. She could have gone, I'm free. No, she stands there rooted to the spot and she knows that she's guilty. Okay, the man isn't there, but she is guilty. She has done this sin, standing before Jesus, the only one who is perfect, the place where you can't argue, the place where you can only confess your sin and say, I'm undone in your presence. What's he going to say to her? What sentence will he give? She deserved death just as we do. The wages of sin are death. She knew that she'd done wrong. But this was the moment she got her name. 
Here was the moment of revelation of grace that we all need. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Neither do I. Can you imagine the one who knows everything from the end and beginning, saw every motive, every sin of omission and commission, and there it is exposed in front of him as it will all be exposed one day for us. And he says, neither do I condemn you. She doesn't even repent for her sin. Did you notice that? She doesn't say, Lord, I'm so sorry. You caught me in the act. He doesn't, she doesn't even ask for forgiveness. She stands before him and waits for her sentence. And he says, neither do I condemn you. That's grace right there. That's the moment of revelation of grace. That moment where we come before God and everything is exposed and we stand before him and all our excuses fall away and we know that we've been caught in the act and we know that we're guilty and that he has the right to condemn us and we wait for his sentence and he says, yes, but I am not going to condemn you. And it wasn't because, well, I don't think adultery is so bad after all. It wasn't that. It wasn't, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ even. She wasn't even in that place. Amazing. It wasn't, it's okay to sleep around. I don't mind so much. It wasn't. It wasn't. She was guilty. She was, she was, she was worthy of death. <laughs> he didn't argue about what the sentence was when the men pointed out her sin. He just said, well, all of you are the same. (laughs) He said, I don't condemn you, but don't sin anymore. Don't sin anymore. Today, you get a fresh start. Today, you've got a new life, a clean sheet of paper. Don't you go sinning anymore. You don't need to. Because when you've had a revelation of his grace, when you know the extent of what he's forgiven you for, when you know that he doesn't condemn you, you want to live for him. Grace teaches us to say no to works of ungodliness. The law doesn't teach us. The rules don't teach us. It's only when you come clean and you stand before that place of vulnerability and he doesn't condemn you, that you say, well, Lord... I don't want to sin anymore. I don't like sin anymore. I want your approval. I want to live for you. That's the revelation of grace that teaches us us to say no. Have you had that revelation? You have to stop living the way that you have. You must leave your life of sin. That is the outcome of the revelation of grace. But it can't come the other way around. You can't say, I'm not going to do this anymore when you haven't come clean and experienced his grace. You have to stop living the way that you are when you've experienced his grace. As Jesus says to another man, lest something worse come upon you. Have you ever thought about that? Stop where you are Come clean now and receive grace. Grace for what you've done and then stop what you've been doing. Stop now before it's too late and you find that you've gone so far that you can't come back. Do you know that that's possible? 
that there is a place that you can go to where your conscience becomes so hardened that the times you've come back before and said, Lord, I shouldn't have done that, you don't say it anymore. You get to the point where you can't come back. It was one of the things that stopped me short in my youth. I realized that I could go the next step and that I don't know if I'd still really feel sorry afterwards. Because your conscience gets seared. It gets hardened. And it's hard to respond to God anymore and the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Stop now. Come before Jesus now. Come and acknowledge your sin now. Come and confess it. Be silent before him. Don't even say sorry this time. And experience the revelation of his grace. And then go sin no more. For some of us, you know, some of us are not experiencing that kind of bondage. And this has been the revelation for me. That there are some things that we've done and we continue to do. We need to confess and we need to come to God and experience his grace. But there are some other things, some other sins that are done to us. That grace, grace, the revelation of grace doesn't give us the out on. I want to try and explain that to you. Some of us, you see, are trying to get free, not from sins that we've done, but sins that have been done to us sins where we were the victim not the perpetrator and so for these kind of sins what we need isn't the grace of God but the mercy of Jesus and this is mercy I want to introduce you to mercy she's in John chapter 4 and it's a very long passage so I'm not going to read it all to you maybe you'd like to read it yourself a bit later on but she's the what she's sometimes known as the largest woman in the Bible a woman of some area I've been waiting to say that a long time. But again, we don't really know the woman's name, but I've decided to call her Mercy because that's what her life plays out in the story. The story is that Jesus took a detour and he went to the heart of a community and he sat down at the well because that's where everybody would come. They all needed to come and to draw water. He sat in the midst of the community. And don't we need Jesus sitting in the middle of our communities, the watering places? He would go and eat with publicans and sinners. We need people in pubs, people. And places where people go. I just thought I'd share that. (laughs) But he took this place in the heart of the community. It was a key meeting place because all the women particularly would come there throughout the day to draw water. And so this woman comes out of the heat of the day. It isn't the usual time to draw water. It's not the most efficient time. But I think she wanted to avoid some conversations. I think perhaps because of what had been going on in her life, she wanted to come in without the fuss. She was well known, it seems, and it seems that many people would have known of her tragic circumstances, and she just didn't want to face their looks again. And she sort of comes in, but Jesus is sitting there and he's waiting and he sees the woman coming to draw water. He says, woman, will you give me a drink? And she, a Samaritan woman, says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Do you realize what you're asking? If you drink this water, you will become ceremonially unclean because you're drinking it out of my pot. Jesus says, no, that's what I've come for. (laughs) 
You'd already been contaminated, she says, drinking my water. And that's even before Jesus got to her way of life and all that's going on there. And in verse 10, it says, um, Jesus answers it, if you knew the gift of God and who asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you. So Jesus says, I'm coming to you with a gift and you don't even know what you need. And she answers, yeah, but Lord, the well is so deep. My need is so deep, you're not going to be able to reach it. What's happened to me is so tragic, so awful, you're never going to get to the bottom of it. Jesus, you don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I've experienced. And he says, I've come with a gift for you. A gift of living water. I want to bring you back to life. I want to give you a new way to live. I want to bring you to a place where you can worship again. The conversation goes on about theology and worship. I love that conversation. It's fantastic. And we haven't got time to look at it today. But look at this. Jesus reveals to her that he knows about the trouble that she's in. In verse 16, he said, go, call your husband and come back. She says, I haven't got a husband. He puts his finger right on the problem. Jesus says, you're right. When you say you haven't got a husband, actually you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have isn't your husband. You're telling me truth. Literally, that's what Jesus says. You're telling me the truth. Well done. You're being honest with me. You're telling me about what's happened to you. You can tell Jesus anything, you know. Nothing is a surprise to him. Whatever life you've been through, whatever experience you've had, you can tell him the truth above anybody. He says, I am the way, the truth. When you come to Jesus, you've got to speak truth because he knows everything anyway. He knows when you're faking it. You've told the truth. Now, in my reading of the passage over the years and the many talks I've heard about it, I've always assumed in my ignorance that what was happening in this moment is that Jesus was revealing her sin and that she was an immoral woman who prostituted herself to men for financial gain or worse. But you see, Jesus never calls it sin. He never tells her that she sinned. If you compare it to the previous story, the grace story that we've just read, he never says to her, go and sin no more. Actually, what he does is he gives her time. He sits with her. He he wants a drink from her. He, He wants fellowship with her. He answers her questions. He connects with her in a remarkable way. And then he lets her know that he completely understands what's been done to her. You see, Mercy lived in a culture where men could divorce their wives for just about any reason they wanted. I don't like your cooking today. Divorce. I don't like the way you're dressed. Divorce. I'm bored of you. I want a different wife. Divorce. Sign a bill of divorce and she goes out of the house. Homeless, destitute, no, no financial get, no financial. And who knows how many children she had through those relationships. She was out on her own. And it says, I understand from my reading that the Jews would allow divorce three times. This woman has been divorced five times. That's unjust. Even at Jewish standards and whatever you think of that culture at that time. This is complete injustice. She has been treated shamefully. 
And now the man who was using her wasn't her husband, but she needed somebody because otherwise there was no financial income for her. And she needed to care for her children. She lived as a victim. She was a victim of her society and of her culture. And she wore a mantle of shame coming out in the middle of the day when nobody else was there because she couldn't face them. She couldn't face their looks again, the pity. The little conversations, the whisper, oh, the poor love, look at her. But what choice has she got? She's stuck. And you know, there are people in the world that have to face situations, moral questions that we have no concept of. I was reading recently about uh, Muslim women living in refugee camps who have this moral choice to make. My children will die because I can't feed them. Or I prostitute myself for money so I can feed my children. If I prostitute myself for money, that's morally repugnant. But then if I let my children die, that's morally repugnant. I'm standing between these two impossible moral questions. It's an insight into something of what this woman, I believe, was experiencing in her culture. She was one of those difficult people in the community. Maybe in your street, somebody who's been used and abused and can't look after her children. And and, and she, but yet she's powerless to act. She's the slave of another man. It's impossible to know what to do. How do we help her? How do we... How do we get her away from that abusive relationship? This is in our society. This happens just here in Sully Hall. We have ladies coming into the storehouse who are in exactly in this kind of position. But Jesus comes right to where she is. And he asks her for a drink. I want to sit with you and have a drink out of your water pot. And as I've read this passage over and over, I'm convinced that what Jesus is saying and doing and everything that he communicates through all his actions, this is what he's saying. He says, I know. He says, I know. I understand. I see you. But it's not your fault. It's not your fault. You're a victim in this situation. You're abused. It's not your fault. You are not guilty. I'm coming to release you from the guilt and shame of your pain, and I'm going to make you a worshiper anyway. And whereas the other lady, you know, that we read about, Grace, she she needed to come clean. She needed to experience grace and choose a life of sin no more. Mercy comes to those to whom bad things have happened and should never have happened, but they've happened. And it's not her fault. It's not your fault. Do you need to hear that today? 
This is why I couldn't preach the other message. The Holy Spirit was so heavy on me. He said, somebody needs to hear this today. It's not your fault. You're living with somebody else's guilt. (laughs) And you've even repented for somebody else's sin. And it still hasn't left you. Because it's not your fault. What you need is not grace. (laughs) You are grace. What you need today is an encounter with the mercy of Jesus. He says, I see you. It should never have happened to you. It's not your fault. Be healed. Be healed. Be accepted. Be loved. I'm sorry it happened to you. We often work through forgiveness with people. People that have been abused. And over many years, one of the most powerful moments is where you can look somebody in the eye said, do you know, it wasn't your fault. You are not guilty. And you have to say it over and over, and you have to look them in the eye. And finally, yeah, it's not my fault. I needed to hear that. And I didn't even know I did. But that's what happened on that night. Something that happened to me My mum and dad don't even know about it. (laughs) When I was a child, I was abused by somebody. And I lived with the guilt of that encounter all my life and felt dirty because of it. But it was not my fault. I didn't do anything wrong. I was in the wrong place at the wrong time with the wrong person. And it's not been a big part of my life. Honestly, God has been so gracious to me. It was a moment in time that passed and was gone. And if you've been through anything more than that, I can't imagine that. But you need to know as well that it wasn't your fault. You weren't guilty. And that's what happened to me. He just came and he said to me, it wasn't your fault, receive mercy. I had an encounter with the mercy of God. I didn't even cry. I just, I just felt peaceful. Something got rested that had always been nagging away. You're not clean. You're dirty. Dirty by association. Then it made me think other things about myself. It wasn't my fault. It's not your fault. I really felt somebody needed to hear that today. And I've just fallen in love with mercy. (laughs) She is so beautiful. And I don't know what you think about what I say about this woman and my suggestion about her morality and how she might have been viewed differently by a community than perhaps you or I have thought in the past but here's the final reason why I'm convinced that it's the right way to read the passage is because of how her community respond to her words look at the end of the story it says here in verse 39 that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony now if she was an immoral woman who who nobody thought anything of 
they would not have believed her testimony. And they say it twice. It goes on. Because of the woman's testimony when she said, he told me everything I ever did. Wow, that's loaded, isn't it? Everything. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. Wouldn't you want Jesus right in the heart of your community when you've experienced, when you've seen a person transformed by mercy, right in the heart of their community? And because of his words, many more became believers. We want that, don't we? And they said, the community said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. But it was enough. What a woman. A woman that was abused and treated shamefully, excommunicated from temple because of her moral status, but not her fault, was embraced back into the community and honoured. Because now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. I don't think that this was an immoral woman, ostracised by her community, although the religious people might have ostracised her, but she was an abused woman who was pitied and respected even by her community because of the way her testimony was received. A woman who found mercy. Grace and mercy. Two ladies I just wanted to introduce you to today. I want to ask you which one you need an encounter with right now. Some of you, you need to be caught in the act. You need to just come clean and just say, I've been doing this and I shouldn't be doing it anymore. And come to the feet of Jesus. and Just say, Lord, whatever the sentence, I trust you. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to any other man. In the end, you stand before Jesus on your own so that you can experience his grace. And he says, neither do I condemn you, but don't sin anymore. Stop it. You know, that is the beauty of grace, is that you now have a choice. I don't have to sin anymore. Or maybe... You needed to hear those words today. It's not your fault. And if you're one of those people, I understand that I don't want you to come to the front and feel awkward or difficult or anything like that, but I feel like there are several people here maybe, or maybe even listening online, that just need to know that it wasn't your fault. And I was just thinking, so I was slightly distracted by my own thoughts for a moment because one of the things I realized is that often when we've talked through these kind of things with people individually, privately, one of the things that I've often been led to say as a man, so it might, this might be for a woman, is as a representative man, I'm sorry that a man did that to you. It should never have happened or it may be a woman, and you need a representative woman from Jesus to just say, that should never have happened to you. You should have been protected in that situation. That should never have happened to you. But I believe that there's some healing for some people today. 
And that's what the revelation of the mercy of Jesus does. It heals us. And some of you have been asking for healing for years, but you've not been understanding what kind of healing that you need. It's actually a revelation of his mercy. So if you've been abused in some way, I'm I'm not making light of that, but it's a revelation of his mercy. And maybe you can't come and talk to anybody about That's fine. I'm not trying to put any pressure on anybody. Uh, For me, Jesus came to me just as I was going to bed. And I I was awake for the rest of the night. (laughs) And he did it with me on my own. And that's okay. But this was the revelation I wanted to bring to you.